20, I'm in case emergency. Ain't no cap in my rock. Really, I know it's the truck. More profit mean extra. Emma White out full of pressure. That cereal milk smoking right. But that Obama right, so special. Kansas City, I'm a chief. Shout out to K5 on this one. Country thinking I was hushing. I always had it on me. Booming like OJ the Juice. Till a nigga told on me. Run down this relentless. Ain't no love, we ain't friendly. If she want me on him. No the law, she get the business. No the law, still the model. Empire. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome in. This is the Birds of a Feather podcast with your boy Q City. We're going to look back at last week's huge win over Carolina. Look to next week's big game against San Francisco. Check around the league in our playoff positioning and in division. Do the betting points and give me props. And then have a little city talk at the end. So come along with me and enjoy this ride. So last week's game was a huge, totally necessary win against the Carolina Panthers. We won 29 to 21 down there, and it was really revenge for them beating us in our house on a game they probably shouldn't have won. Now, Carolina walked into the game limping because no matter how you look at it, Cam is a backup QB. Sam Darnold was their plan A option at quarterback. Honestly, Cam played like a backup today. It was it was kind of bad, and our defense looked good. Our defense looked good out there. They looked fast. They looked aggressive. It was definitely a great win, something that we really wanted to see. So let's get into it. You start the game with a three and out. Arthur Smith uses his first ever challenge as a coach. It was very interesting to hear the broadcast say that. I wasn't aware of it, but when I think back and look at it, he hasn't been overly aggressive throughout the year on challenges. He has, you know, in fourth down calls and whatnot. We're going to get into that in City Talk, but... He hasn't actually been that way on challenges. So Pitts get the ball on third down. I'm not going to lie. If you look at the spot, it looked like he was pretty close. Then when they did the replay, like you could see Arthur Smith kind of face drop because, you know, Pitts never actually, Pitts never extended the ball. You just thought he got to the sticks. And it's just typical of Matt. You need seven yards to get you 6.9. But it is what it is. So you lose the challenge, you punt the ball, and then Darby gets a late hit on the fair catch. That is day one stuff. That is day one high school type of stuff. Getting a late hit on a fair catch? Come on, man. Come on. What are we doing here? So you you set them up beautifully, and then the third play, second play, from scrimmage, Eric Harris tears up his shoulder. Like, I I wrote it. I remember writing it down in my notes because I saw him when he made the tackle. It was on a halfback dive, just a regular play. He came in, shot the gap behind the line, and he immediately went down on one knee and grabbed his shoulder. And I was like, oh, Eric Harris is hurt. Uh, Eric Harris is hurt. And he played the rest of that series, but he was completely ineffective. Cam ends up getting a rushing TD on the right side, just, just killing us. Nine plays, 65 yards, good running the ball. And if you remember in our first game, they ran for almost 200 yards. They, no, they ran for over 200 yards and they really just took the soul out of us. You know what I'm saying? Just really, just truly, we're better than you. We're bigger than you. We're, we're going to run the ball at you. And to be completely honest, to keep it a buck with you, they really did run the ball at will with creative play calling runs today. 
but they just got out of the game in such an early way that they weren't able to sustain it, kind of like we did with Tampa last week. But they, they, our run defense does leave a bit to be desired, especially when they have a creative running scheme with a mobile quarterback, which Carolina did. So we're down 7-0. Falcons come out. You get a huge play to gauge. Down the middle, beautiful, right between the zones. Bam. Then... When the drive is stalling, you're at around the 40-yard line, you're thinking, oh, damn. You know, we wasted that big flip-the-field type of play. It's fourth and one. Go for it and get the conversion. So it's it's like Gage, Gage is on third down. Matt does this typical thing. You need seven, he gets you six. Gage tried to reach for it. He came up a little short. They go for it on fourth down. After getting that confidence of going for it on fourth down, there was nothing you were going to do to stop us. It was run, run, run. Cordell had three runs to the left side and two pass catch, one pass catch, and I think Smith had a pass catch on that on that as well. And it ends in a touchdown with Cordell right up the middle. Now they're getting a lot, a lot of work on in the middle and on the left side. So I didn't want to see them go away from that at any point in the game. So now it's 7-7. Carolina gets the ball again. They immediately go three and out. So we're thinking we're going to get some momentum, especially because the three and out wasn't caused by, like, a bad offensive play. Moreau made a great defensive play. Uh, He broke up a slant on third down. So Atlanta gets the ball and get a first down. You get a first down on second down. You, you know, make a decent pass, get a first down. You get in the third. You get in the third and long. After a um, penalty, and now you got a punt. And it's like, damn, man, like we're wasting that whole momentum. And momentum is really just another word for complimentary football. We're, we're wasting the idea that like, hey, our defense got to stop. We're at a point where we need to be mounting up points, especially early in the game. So Carolina's, Carolina gets the ball back after the punt. They're moving. Cam is killing us with RPOs. And it really was a theme for the whole day. That run pass option, we did not know how to defend it at all. So the only thing that stopped us, the only thing that stopped us was you got to realize they let go of their offensive coordinator. So I don't know if the verbiage changed or if the offense had all changed, but they weren't able to get the play in. So they called a timeout. Coming out of that timeout, AJ makes a great play on Robbie Anderson. Breaks up that pass, and then the next pass, you got um, Amir Abdullah coming out of the backfield running the Texas route or, you know, like basically an angle route, however you want to, whatever you want to call it. It's when the running back comes out of the backfield and then takes a sharp cut into the middle of the field. Like he fakes to either the right or left and then takes a sharp cut into the middle of the field. Mikel Walker read it beautifully, steps right in front of it. I don't think Cam saw him, to be honest, because like when you look at it, he threw it with confidence. Like, oh, yeah, nah, he's there. He's open. This is a good play. Mikhail, it then looked surprised when the ball was going the other way. Mikel Walker, pick six, just you could tell that came from film study. That came from film study and knowing because he had safety help over the top. He had safety help over the top. So even if you completed that ball, it wasn't going far. It was the perfect defense for that call. That like Dean Pease had a beat on him, had a read on that play. I don't know 
if they saw it and just knew that they were going to get to it. Because when I see that play, I do see CMC running that play. Like, I, I see Christian McCaffrey running that angle route. So, like, they just put a different body in there. It made sense. So, he was able to sit on it. Bam. Took it to the house. It's 14-7. The whole temperature of the game changed with that 14-7 right there. The whole temperature of the game changed. Cam was shook. And how you knew he was shook was they come right back on the field and they go three and out. It's not the fact that they went three and out because that can happen. That can happen to any offense at any time. They go three and out. It's the fact that he had Anderson wide open on third down and scrambled for four yards and ran out of bounds. Falcons get the ball back after they punt. Uh, first down on a screen, you you get a first down on a screen, and then you overthrow Pitts. You, you had him wide open. You overthrow him. Uh, one run. Uh, then you get a roughing the passer penalty. You get into the red zone because of the roughing the passer penalty, and you have one run and two incomplete passes, and then kick a field goal. The red zone play calling is leaves much, much to be desired because it, it doesn't seem like you're one, super creative within the red zone play calling or two, have an idea of what you want to get done in the red zone. It's almost like you're settling for field goals or you're playing to kick a field goal. Like, ah, we have the lead, so let's just make sure we get out of here with getting points instead of being aggressive enough to go for the touchdown in this manner. And it, it really has become a theme with Coach Smith. And I'm not sure if it's novelty from being, you know, a first-time head coach or you just truly don't have the cojones to go for it in those matters. But your play calling is showing that you're not trying to push for that. It's very irritating. But it's 17-7 at this point. Cam gets benched for P.J. Walker, who immediately comes in, loses five yards, running out of... Uh, running out of bounds, and then throws a terrible ball to AJ who picks it off. This was base cover too. This was like a high school defense they were running. There was no, like, I looked at it. I looked at it on, on like, sitting down watching the game and looked at it on all 22. This is the most basic defense. Like, they didn't try to trick anybody. They didn't try to throw anybody any type of way. It was a simple cover two. A simple cover two. AJ just, I don't know why he threw the ball. AJ steps in front of it. Easy interception. Easy interception. So uh, we go into halftime, 17-7. Cam's benched. We're dominating defensively. This is, this game's in hand. At 17 this game is in hand. We don't have to worry about anything else, honestly. The offense is starting to come along. We're like, okay, cool. We come out in the second half. Cam's back. Okay, this is not crazy. Killing us again with the RPOs. Not sticking to their defensive assignments and sticking to the holes. Uh, they are able to mount a 10-play drive, only put the ball in the air three times, and Hubbard scores on a option, 17-yard touchdown. And all three of the passes were slants. It is literally the base RPO where I either keep the ball myself, hand it off to the halfback, or throw a screen or, or throw a slant. 
They ran the same exact play. Out of those nine plays, I counted like seven RPOs. It was ridiculous. The Falcons get the ball back, and he just underthrows Sharp. Like on a first down shot play, he had Sharp. Sharp had to stop, slow up, come back to it. You know Matt doesn't have that arm. We're not we're not even about to we're not even about to harp on the fact that Matt doesn't have that arm. Everybody knows that Matt doesn't have that type of arm. The problem that I have with that play call is the idea that you call it with a player like Matt. Remember earlier I was saying that he calls plays not with the personnel that he has, but with the personnel that he wishes he had. He had Tannehill. You can say what you want about him, but Tannehill, Tannehill has a cannon for an arm. He makes that throw. Matt doesn't make that throw. Matt is more precise than Tannehill, but he's not going to make the long ball throw like that, which caused Sharp to come up. And the DB was nowhere to be found, so he had to catch up to the ball. So it's not even like... You know, you could get pass interference in that manner. The DB wasn't by him. So it was very frustrating. But he made it up with his precision. He hit Smith. He hit Pitts. Then um, we get down to the red zone again. You got a false start on Hennessy in the red zone after a run play. Because I was like, okay, maybe we need to run the ball in the red zone more. You get to a third and three. Hennessy gets a false start. And you turn a third and three into a third and eight. And it's an incomplete pass. And to be honest with you, it looked like Matt just threw it away where he was like, we got to come out of here with points, especially after they scored. You know what I'm saying? It's still a one possession game. So it's like, all right, we're, we're going to come out of here with points. They kick a field goal. It's 20 to 14. DJ on Carolina's next possession, DJ Moore has two big catches in the middle of the zone, like back to back. And they're they're at the 40 yard line before you could blink. You know what I'm saying? And this this was a problem with me because AJ AJ played back to form. He was he was playing good ball today. But he didn't travel yet again. And DJ was able to get off on that. And then Cam gave us a gift from heaven. He gets stepped on by his offensive lineman, and Jared gets the ball. He picks up the fumble, and we're now at Carolina's like 40-something. One play, we're basically at midfield. Matt goes to work. He hits sharp, then pits on big throws, and then we're just running back by committee, running the ball, getting the ball down to the red zone, and then a, a nice creative play action. And I praised his play action. I praised his um, offensive play calling in the Miami game in the red zone because I definitely thought that he was creative in bringing um, Ridley across the across the formation from the left side to the right, and then play actioning onto that side and hitting Ridley over it. It it was it was very nice. You know what I'm saying? Hurts this play action. It was it was decently creative. You know what I'm saying? He didn't get too cute and fancy. He loaded up the box. But, you know, if you look at that formation, you're like, okay, if they're going to hit anybody, it'll be Pitts. And they didn't. So now it's 26-14. This was my problem. This was my problem. Because you pick and choose when you want to be aggressive. But because you pick and choose and you're selective in your aggression, 
people who truly understand it see your quote unquote aggression for what it is, which is weakness and uncertainty in that moment. You're up 2614. What the hell are you going for two for? What the hell are you going for two for? You want to make it 2814, but that is a mindset that you're going to lose this lead. Do you understand that was the problem I had with Dan? I, I always go back to this. I always go back to the Dallas game when we were up several scores and we went for two. And I said that displayed the mindset that we are going to lose this game. We're, I mean, we're going to lose this lead. We need to have our points up in totals of seven because we are going to lose this lead. So they don't get the two-point conversion. Uh, Carolina gets the ball. Fowler has a big tackle for loss. AJ has a pass breakup. And then Fowler sacks Cam on third down. So they get a turnover on fourth down. So they get a turnover on downs. We basically started midfield again. In two first downs, we're at the 30. And the drive kind of stalls. But... Just having that great field position because you put them in a desperate situation was immensely helpful. So 48-yard field goal is 29-14. Carolina understands. It's it's pretty much over. They put PJ in. Uh, they get a rough in the passer. They get a big pass play to about the 44, 45-yard line. And then they go three straight passes in a row. One of which is the pass breakup. The other two are just straight incomplete because P.J. Walker is a third string quarterback. Turnover on downs. This is the this is the game. The game is over. The game is over right here. It's about eight minutes left. You just got another. You just got your third turnover of the I mean, you just got your fourth turnover of the day. One interception, one pit, one fumble, second turnover on downs. Your fourth turnover of the day. You're winning the turnover battle by a large margin. Allison gets the ball and fumbles. And it was it was the most Falcon thing. Because it's like, bro, all you have to, literally, literally, you could have held on to the ball and just laid down. And we'd have been better off. He fumbles on the first play. They get the ball. P.J. goes to Anderson on a it's, it's sudden change. It's sudden change. The defense did their job. Now they're immediately back on the field because it was one play. And it's bam, Anderson, bam, Anderson, bam, Anderson. And I'm not going to lie. He attacked A.J., but I couldn't really fault him because it, it was sudden change. Like you're that's what you're attack. That's what you're taught to do. Immediately go on the offensive. They get a short touchdown. Toward the end, now it's 29-21. Now Atlanta's butts are, are tight. Now you come out and you do two runs. Now it's third down. You run a play action. Pitts gets a huge first down. And he ends the game. He ends the game with that first down. Overall, I was, I was very excited about the win. And to be completely honest, if it wasn't for that garbage time touchdown, the game truly was 29-14. I'm perfectly fine with the score, how the game ended. There were, of course, there are always things that could be better on play calling. You know what I'm saying? Matt's QBR was 62.6. This was probably one of his better games of the year. 
Keep in mind, 50 is average. 50 is the baseline average quarterback play. Matt was above average today, even only even only having 190 yards and one touchdown. No picks, no fumbles, uh, 50% on third down conversions. He was good. And he did it without a great running game. In total, we had over 100 yards rushing, but like no one guy did it. Mike Davis was 11 for 54. Um, Patterson in total went 18 touches for 59 yards. And then Allison had five for 23. So, you know, it was a little bit running back by committee. The thing that really helped him was the fact that his guys caught the ball, caught the balls that he put in the air. Pitts, six targets, five receptions for 61 yards. Gage, six targets, four receptions for 64 yards. You put the ball into the um, Patterson, two receptions on two targets. You put the ball in the air and it lands in your guys' hands, you're doing something right. Defensively, A.J. was a monster. I, I told you, his last two games, he hasn't been on point. It's been weird because for a good bit of the year, I considered him one of the best corners in the game. He got back to form today. Five tackles, three pass breakups, one interception balling as a team Dante Fowler had our only sack but we had seven tackles for loss as a team we we, we shut them down Cam had a 28.3 QBR and PJ had a 10.4 with uh, three turnovers combined two picks one fumble 10 for 47 uh, Cam went 10 10 rushes for 47 yards you know but he had that big run Hubbard went 10 for 33, but his longest was 17. So he really went 9 for 16, which is under 2 yards per carry, which you know I be a Mike Davis ass about being a net negative for the offense. So every time you gave Hubbard the ball, you helped Atlanta. That's You need that. You need that. Anderson went uh, 7 for 84, but most of it was on that last drive, that sudden change drive. We allowed no sacks. None. And, you know, four tackles for loss, it happens, they get into the backfield. But the fact that Matt Ryan had no sacks, no fumbles, no interceptions type of game was absolutely perfect, was beautiful. And that's how the Falcons should look. If Allison hadn't fumbled that ball and we started at midfield in the last previous two drives, we started at midfield, ended in a field goal. So by proxy, you're thinking, man, that that game really should have been 32-14. About, you know what I'm saying? But you can't be mad at 29-21. The defense is coming into form. Granted, Cam is cooked. Cam is done. Cam Cam is over. All y'all that was talking about him coming to Atlanta, this is why you don't get him. Cam, Cam is done. He had a good run. He had a good run. I love him as an icon. Wouldn't Don't really fuck with his shoes because I don't like the Under Armour like that. But Cam is done. Uh, Coach Smith. He teetered on the line between aggressive and reckless. And I like it. I appreciate aggression. I hate recklessness because it belies insecurity. And when when you coaches can sniff out insecurities in other coaches, it's like chum in the water. And they all sharks around here. I I would give it like this. You know that homeboy you got that like every time. Y'all get around a group of females. He feels the need to like 
flexed about like how much money he got, how many numbers in his phone, what kind of car he drives. When it's like, yeah, no, 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 no. That that's a level of show offness. You know what I'm saying? Of aggressiveness to compete. But like in all truth and honesty, it belies insecurity. And the females around here smell that. So they looking at you like you were lame in that matter. You know what I'm saying? And that's exactly how other coaches look at some of the decisions that our coach is making in those critical moments. Red, red zone play calling is still an issue. Even though we had like nine more minutes of uh, time of possession and we kind of did running back by committee, we were able to run the ball, keep the ball moving, keep the ball going. We got to convert once in the red zone in touchdowns. Yeah, we'll be the team like Carolina kicking, what, three field goals? But we're, we're not going to beat the upper echelon teams if we're not able to convert two of those into touchdowns. The 48-yarder, that's hey, that's good that we were able to convert a 48-yarder to a field goal. But the other two, under 20 yards, under 30 yards, I mean, those got to be touchdowns. Those got to be. Overall, very happy with the performance. There's some things we can clean up, make better and whatnot. But let's take the positives of it and move on to next week. So next week is a big one. Basically, our playoffs started last week. You know what I'm saying? I will discuss in an division where we do have an opportunity to lose a game, but I guarantee it ain't this one. This is a huge NFC opponent, and they're above us in the playoff standings. The 7-6 San Francisco 49ers. We're going out to them. This is, for all intents, all intents and purposes, this is a playoff game. This is a playoff game. Just think of us as, like, the lower-seeded team going out. Because, to be completely honest, when it comes down to tiebreakers, the winner of this game is probably going to get in and the loser's out. Mike, uh, Kyle Shanahan... He's a boy genius. You know what I'm saying? He got the zone, block, zone blocking running scheme from his dad. He won two Super Bowls with Denver. Kyle, he's been to two Super Bowls. Uh, one as a coordinator with us, obviously, and then one as a head coach. So he, he's got the pelts on the wall. Dude can run. The zone blocking scheme, basically, it's a very athletic offensive line. You pass block to either side, you stretch the defense out, and then you ask the running back to just pick a hole. So it works with a variety of runners, with a variety of running backs, but it cycles through running backs because if the defender catches the hole, your running backs get popped. And it's hell on the knees because it's a one-cut-and-go type offense. So, you know, ACLs tend to go in, in this offense. You might have you know, you look at some of the dominant backs in this type of offense. Clint, Clinton Portis, um, Terrell Davis, what is his name uh, for Washington? Alfred Morris had one really good year in this offense. Um, your boy up in Green Bay, Aaron Jones, has a real good back in this offense. Those are real big, sturdy guys. You know what I'm saying? Uh, San Fran is really trying to do it with these skinny, small cats. And they, they're, they're getting popped and their knees are getting done. So... They're running through guys. Uh, they're a six-round running back. His name's escaping me. He's questionable for this game. And this is, you know, this is Monday night, Tuesday. So we'll see if it progresses on later in the week. Well, basically, you got to see whether or not he practices on Wednesday. 
but Debo will be intact. Debo Samuel will be there for the game. He's a huge receiving threat. So, you know, definitely looking forward to seeing him. Defensively, and this was new to me because I, I did wonder who replaced Rob, uh, Robert Sala. D'Amico Ryans, the former Texans linebacker, is the defensive coordinator. And I was like, yo, that's that's really cool. He's a second-round pick um, in 06, if I'm not mistaken. Still running a 4-3 defense, which is interesting because if I if I remember correctly, when Romeo Cornell was in with the Texans, D'Amico Ryans was part of a 3-4 defense. But when he came in at 06, it might have still been a 4-3. Regardless, they run that wide nines. The wide nines, uh, they put their DNs as wide out as possible and control the running lanes. It's not necessarily needed with Matt because Matt isn't mobile, but it does re- it does require your tackles to cover a lot more ground. I am not overly worried about Jake Matthews in this arena because he actually is pretty athletic. McGarry, it might be a long day for him on the right side. Like, especially, I, I know for a fact they're going to line either Bosa or Armstead over him. Um... Their pass rushers are menaces. You want to get to the key players on the game? You got Kittle. Kittle eats up the middle of the field with a passion. Like, last game he had, what, 12 receptions, 150 yards. But what it really was was he was able to get into the soft creases of the zone over and over and over again against Cincinnati. Atlanta allows the same zones. We've actually been eaten up in the middle of the field, and especially with Eric Harris out, our safeties, our safeties, even thinner. You know what I'm saying? Our linebackers, Debo can cover, but Kittle is Kittle will outmuscle him, especially for those uh, 2020 balls. And hell, you know, he's faster. He's way faster. Uh, Debo Samuel, do it all piece, elite receiving and rushing talent. You line him up wherever you want on the field. He is like Cordell Patterson. And as much as Arthur Smith is like really creative with Cordell and how he puts it, Kyle Shanahan's on another level with how he uses Debo. He can line him up in the backfield, at wide out, in the slot, and anywhere he lines up on the field, he is a threat. And then the last guy, Bosa, a monster on the edge. Like I said, if he lines up over McGarry, it's going to be a long day for all parties involved. And we'll probably have to uh, play some more of Hurtston and leave him in to help block. Or Smith to leave him in to help block. Because blocking Bosa one-on-one, which that takes a guy out of the route combination. You know what I'm saying? Especially if you like put three, dedicate three guys to him, like leave a back into the backfield. Now you're saying, what? You're putting four guys out and three guys out into the routes. You know what I'm saying? Really because you got to block one guy and not let him ruin the game. And that's, hell, if they don't take pressure, that's seven guys covering three. Like, that's that's tough. It's hard. Um, The way to attack their offense is to have a good offense. This sounds crazy, sounds stupid, but the, the way you keep San Francisco in check is force them out of running the ball. If you put the game into Jimmy G's hands, you have a better chance of winning. If you allow them to consistently control the tempo running the ball, um, 
you, you're you're at a loss. You're at a dead's end. Force Jimmy G to make long throws to the sidelines as well. We got to cover up the middle of the field. And it's hard with Kittle, but we got to take away that first read in the middle of the field because that's all Kyle's offense is predicated on. Crossing routes. So if you if you watch quarterback's eyes in this offense, and Matt still does it. Your eyes are drawn after the play action to the middle of the field because you should either have a safety valve in the middle of the field, i.e. a tight end, or you should have a crossing route coming across the middle of the field, and then you follow that crossing route with your eyes either right or left. And then those those are your deep dig shots in this offense. It is it's really fun to watch if you watch it on the all twenty two. And not even like being a nerd, just like puzzle pieces fitting together. Like you'll see how he moves the chess pieces, moves the guys, and your court, the quarterback will fool the safety so much because his eyes will truly just be in the middle of the field until whoever needs to cross his vision crosses it. Uh, how we're going to attack that is run the ball. Run the ball. We got to get right back on this running back by committee thing, and we've got to finish inside the red zone. I want AJ to travel this week, especially considering that Debo is truly their only, like, and from a wide receiver point, wide receiving threat that we actually should be worried about. I know Brandon Ayuk is on this team, but he's really, really hit and miss. Our last time out to San Francisco, to my knowledge, ended on a last second Julio field goal, a last second Julio touchdown. So I hope it doesn't come down to a last second play like that because. That was a very, very close touchdown. Um, I want that game. I want the game to play off a bit more like this last one did. But as a difference, I want to convert in the red zone with touchdowns instead of field goals. And I think overall that will help us have a great game. We're in the playoffs now. We're in the thick of it. We control our own destiny. 100%. We control our own destiny. So let's go out to San Fran and get this one. In Division is sponsored by Courtney Hagen's Credit Repair. Bad credit ain't cute. Get your credit right at CourtneyHagen's.com. Hey, you guys. Q City here. Me personally, I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. But the one thing that's always held me back, not having my credit right. Credit is super important, especially where we are in life. Go to CourtneyHagens.com to get your credit right. Bad credit ain't cute. CourtneyHagens.com. That's Courtney, H-A-G-I-N-S.com. Use promo code QCity15 to get a free consultation. So the playoff race is heating up. Like, heavy. If you look at the NFC, it is tight as hell right now. The Packers moved all the way up to one by beating Chicago and Arizona losing. The Bucks, they're at the two spot right now be after beating Buffalo just based off NFC record because all three of the Cardinals losses I think have been the NFC teams, whereas one of the Patriots losses was to an AFC team. If I'm not one of the Bucks losses was to an AFC team, if I'm not mistaken. The Cardinals are ten and three after their loss to the Rams. Cowboys, nine and four. At the four spot after they beat Washington. The Rams are also at nine and four, but because they're second in their division, you know, they're at the five spot beating Arizona. 
that division just got super interesting. The Rams gained a whole game on Arizona. The Cardinals really don't have much leeway. You know what I'm saying? If they end with the same record, it'll come down to uh, the NFC record. And I'm pretty sure all that's left for them is kind of like division games. So it, it should be really interesting over on that end. But they're sitting at the five spot right now, nine and four. But regardless, it'll either be them or the Cardinals in the five spot. So second second place in the NFC West is going to be the five seed. Then there's like a two-game drop-off for the six seed. And that's where San Francisco is. Now between the six seed and the eleventh seed is one game. Everybody is either seven and six or six and seven. In fact, Everybody from 7 to 11 is 6 and 7. San Fran's 7 and 6 after beating Cincinnati. And then the Washington football team is 6 and 7. They still hold that spot because of tiebreakers with the loss to Dallas. Philly was on a bye this week. They own the tiebreaker uh, at 6 and 7. They're in the 8 spot. They play the Washington football team. They have all division games left. They play the Washington football team twice. And then they play Dallas and the Giants. So, you know, what we really absolutely want in that manner is for them to split. And it will kind of put us in the best position possible because they would each give each other another NFC loss and they would only have one win. If there is one way to, if there is one way we would want one way or the other, it would probably be. I would say the football team to go ahead and beat Philly twice, but lose their other games. So they would end eight and nine, you know what I'm saying? And Philly would also end eight and nine, even if they win their other two games. That that would probably be our best bet. If Philly wins both of those games and Washington wins out, they would still be eight and nine, but they might have a better chance to get in, especially considering what happens with our game with San Francisco. Regardless, we've got to handle our business, but those two having to play each other does kind of bode well for us. They might be able to help knock each other out. Minnesota is at six and seven. They just beat Pittsburgh. They play the Bears twice, which might both be wins, and that gives you eight and seven, but their other two games are the Packers and the Rams, and the Rams are going to be gunning for that uh, division title. So I think they're going to get beasted out. But to be fair, they play the Packers in like week 16. They might have everything locked up. They might rest people, and that bodes bad for us because Minnesota, because of NFC, NFC um, record, is above us. But if they lose to the Bears one time, That'll hurt their NFC record and losing to the Rams and and or the Packers will hurt that record as well. So if we end up with the same record, we might be okay if we win our NFC games and they lose theirs. So six and seven as of now, we're in the 10 spot, even after beating Carolina at six and seven, just because of tiebreakers and NFC wins and losses. New Orleans is behind us. They beat the Jets. And you see how New Orleans is still behind us even after a win with the same record. And that's why I'm going to say later about 
what I say about us going three and one down the stretch. Beating an AFC team is good for your win-loss record. It is it is good. You need to win games. But it's not everything in the grand scheme of things when it comes down to playoff positioning at the bottom of the at the bottom of the division. When you're just trying to get into the playoffs. Carolina's at five and eight in the twelve spot. They're still technically alive, but they they would base they would have to win out. They would have to win out. And they play the Bucks twice, the Saints and the Bills. So like they they very well could be in for a five and twelve season and fold like a deck of cards. Now Seattle is the wild card here. They play the Rams in a huge game this week. Now they they do have to win out. They have to win out to even have a chance. To even have a chance, they have to win out. But they play the Rams and then they play the Cardinals in the last week of the season when the Cardinals probably won't have anything to play for depending on what happens between them and the Rams. If their playoff seating is set in either the three spot or the five spot, it's absolutely no reason for them to uh, play Kyler, get anyone hurt or anything like that. If they're still playing for the one seed, they might, you know, go hard on Seattle that week. But Seattle is a major wild card and can have major implications. Their other two games are the Bears and Lions. I think they should beat the Lions. And as much as I like Justin Fields, I, I think the Bears are pretty much going to go ahead and pack it in for this season. Uh, speaking of the Bears, they're at the 14. They're at 4-8. and eight. They're technically not eliminated yet. Neither are the Giants at four and nine, but it's it's over. It's over. You know, it's it's no reason to continue to say that they have a chance. It's fifteen other things got to happen. All these teams got to lose, win ties. It's 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 over for them. And then the Lions are one eleven and one. So I think overall, it it's tight. It's tight from seven to twelve. And it, anyone in the seven to twelve range. 7 to 13 if you add Seattle. But I I put Seattle above Carolina. So 7 to 12 range has a chance to get in and a path to victory. Let me tell you Atlanta's we got to beat the 49ers. What we have left is at the 49ers versus the Lions at home, at the Bills and then versus the Saints to end the season. So when we play the Saints at the end of the season, I don't think they'll be playing for anything. I, I just honestly, I think that if they lose this week and I, I see them losing this week because they play the Bucks, who are gunning for the one seed. They play the Dolphins, who are on a surprising win streak and trying to make the playoffs in Flores this year. Like he's I'm not saying he's coaching for his job, but it is year three. You know what I'm saying? So they're going to be highly motivated. And then it's kind of like a throwaway game against the Panthers. But at that point, you could be seven and nine. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it's not a huge push for you to go eight and nine. And it will be, for every instance, a playoff game for us. So if if we handle our business like we're supposed to, we have to beat the Lions. Like, if you lose to the Lions, it's, it's terrible. It's over for you. I am disgusted with you as a franchise if you lose to the Lions. And the Lions is my second favorite team because I love Barry Sanders. You know what I'm saying? Like, Barry Sanders is was awesome. I, he's the reason I fell in love with football. So, like, if y'all 
lose to the Lions, I'm just going to be highly disgusted with you because they are they are trash. They are terrible. Um, and then the 49ers, like I've said over and over again, is a playoff game this week. I don't expect us to go on a five game win streak. I, I expect us to lose a game. But if we're going to lose a game, it needs to be to the Bills. It lines up. They're going to be desperate. They are on. Uh, we're going to be on the road. It's going to be early January. We don't play super well in cold weather. It is fine. If that is the game we're going to lose, we're going to lose that game. With knocking San, San Fran down, if we knock San Fran down to 7-7 seven and seven, and we have the exact same record regardless of what Washington um, Philly and Minnesota do that really just means that the uh, six spot which is going to be the team that travels to Arizona at, at set point in time that could be us and I love our matchup against Arizona even with Kyler being as you know dynamic as he is I don't like having the idea of facing the Bucks, and I don't like the idea of going to Lambeau but going to a warm weather like the Cardinals or even possibly the Cowboys ain't the worst thing in the world. Even though the Cowboys beat us down like they did, I don't think that game was actually indicative of who we are as a team and who we're going to be playing later. But we got to get into the playoffs and we can't get into the playoffs with any more NFC losses. We can have one more loss. We can absolutely have one more loss. But if we have another NFC loss, then the tiebreakers come into effect. And that's when Washington and Philly, two teams we lost to earlier in the year, like kill us. You know what I'm saying? We got to beat San Francisco. It is absolutely paramount. If we beat San Francisco this week, then we beat the Lions. And in the last game of the season, we beat the Saints. The Bills game, if we lose, it's not the end of the world. But we got to go three and one across this last stretch. Let's go, Falcons. Let's get it done. Everything we want is in front of us. We still control our own destiny, and we're playing meaningful football games in in December. And that's all you can ask for is late in the season playing meaningful football. You don't want to be Detroit. You don't want to be New York where you're just playing because you're contractually obligated to play or you're playing for your contract next season. You're still playing for the idea to get into the tournament at this point in the season. That's all you want. Hey, you guys, it's your boy Q City. As you know, I love Atlanta. It's teams, it's venues, but more importantly, it's culture creators. 15XV, like the Roman numeral, is a brand line dedicated to capturing the essence of the city. Their gifted artists have clothing that not only show their support for the thriving Atlanta teams, but also show their true talent. Black created, owned, and operated, 15 has a special offer for Birds of a Feather listeners. Go to 15.weebly.com and type in promo code QCity15 to get 15% off on your first order. That's QCITY15 for 15% off on your first order. 15.fiftxvn.weebly.com. Excellence is waiting for you. Now on to my favorite portion, the betting portion. Give me props. So I entered the season. At 15 and 16, I entered this week at 15 and 16. Now, 
I'm only going to do my four. I'm only going to count my four picks, even though my fifth pick hit. Because no, 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 my bad. I'm only going to count my five picks because my bonus throwaway pick, even though it hit, I don't, you know, count my bonus throwaway pick and I can't give y'all that. I can't count it just because it hit. But if you cashed with it and you want to cash at me a little money because you hit on plus 2200 odds, just know. You know what I'm saying? Just hit me in the DMs. I slide you to cash at. You know what I'm saying? Fuck with your boy. Because you know I, I made you some money. I made you some real money. You know what I'm saying? So let's get into it. Kyle Pitts, three and a half uh, receptions. I said the over on that one. He hit five. Uh, Chuba Hubbard, recept, re- receiving and rushing yards under 76 and a half. Easy cover. He had 33. Uh, Matt Ryan, 0.5 interceptions on I said over. He did not throw an interception or a fumble play. Extremely clean game, so I missed on that one. Total kicking points for Koo, six and a half. I took the over on that. He had 11. Almost doubled it up. You know what I'm saying? Could have did double points, double odds. Would have been mad at it. But, hey, take take a win. Take a win. And then Cam under 17 and a half completions. He had 15. So, out of my five picks, I went four and one. Now, my bonus pick, I had Hayden Hurst to catch a touchdown, plus 2,200 odds, which means if you put down $100, you'd have won $2,200, which means you're going to 22 times your money. Whatever you put down, you would have 22 times your money. So, if you would have put down $5 on that bet, you would have won $110. You'd put down, let's just say $10 on that bet. You'd have won $220. I'm just saying, if, if you took the bet because you heard me say it in the pod, you know you're going to make some money. That's all I'm saying with it. And you know your boy helped you out. Follow me. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at QCity11. Follow me at the new page, Q City Media, on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. But, like, I hand out these picks every week, and I'm just making people money. I'm just making people money. I'm talking cash. I'm talking cash shit. I truly am. Because I'm 20 and 17 on the year after this really good week. <laughs> and so, like, that is slightly over 50%. But you only got to be uh, 60% to be considered a professional better. And I'm like 54% right now. On my basketball picks, I'm 63%. So if what if you add those averages up, what is that? I don't know it off the top of my head. I just know I'm really good at this. I'm really good at this. And you're making money if you're sticking with me. You're making money. So I have the uh I have the football picks out for the San Fran game on the Friday pod with the Hawks. Uh look for me. Look out for me and Subscribe to the new podcast, The Bottom Line with Greg Antoine, because this is what we do. We bet on all games, all games. The inaugural podcast is coming out this Thursday. I know I said that last week. We had some scheduling conflicts come up with uh, both of us going on. And really, I can't even blame him. It was more so on my end. Um, I like my family more than I like this podcast. And my lovely wife had a birthday. So (laughs) I went on a birthday dinner instead of recording. So that that's on me. That's on me. But the pod is definitely coming out this week. So 
follow it, the bottom line, and Q City Media will have all the podcasts uh, that we're going to do. I plan on uh, expanding this podcast thing out a bit more. I've got another guy who really is into Braves baseball, and so hopefully we can get him into the fold. And you got to be on the front line of betting. This betting shit ain't going nowhere. And so I definitely want to get the bottom line up and running. So appreciate you guys. Look out for me and follow me. So my first thing in City Talk is one of the things that constantly came up in the group. And I actually received a DM about. Thank you, Mario. And it was about the fact that the seven seed makes meaningful games down the stretch. And it may create an illusion of a bad team being good and i get that i get that a hundred percent you know what i'm saying like football isn't like basketball though and what i mean by that is when you're playing in basketball you might be able to sneak into the playoffs as a a seed with an under 500 record and then you take the one seed three or four you take the one seed to uh five or six games And that is considered a very successful season. But over the course of 82 games, you were below 500. And it's giving you an illusion that you're much closer to the upper echelon of the league than you actually are. I don't necessarily feel like that's the case with football, even though the overarching record may seem a bit low. If you look at it, like I said, uh, seeds 7 through 12 all damn near have the same record, which means five teams are almost exactly like the Falcons. Flawed in a very deep way, but that just means that the top of the league is, the top of the NFC is, you know, very elite, and then everything else is pretty much bunched together. And I think for most people, that provides a level of parity that is needed that gives you that any given Sunday feeling now I've heard some people say like oh they don't even want the Falcons to make the playoffs because they might they're getting embarrassed and this and that and it's like what the hell are you talking about you always want your team to have a chance to get into the tournament Aaron Rodgers is considered oh Aaron Rodgers Super Bowl winning quarterback you know the year he the best team he had that 15 and one team they lost to the Giants, to Eli Manning, who was a six seed. The year that the Packers won it, he was a six, he was a five seed. Deeply flawed team. I want to say both Eli's championships came as six seeds. Tampa, last year, all three of their playoff games were on the road. You've got to get into the tournament. Yes, having home, yes, being the top seed, having a home field advantage, it 100% helps. And it definitely paves and makes your way easier to get to the playoffs, to get to the Super Bowl. But you've got to get into the playoffs. You've got to have a chance to get into there. Because otherwise, you're pigeonholing yourself to being a bad team. And no one wants to be a bad team. Football is hard. Football is tough. Football hurts. And you want to see a payoff for it. 
part of that payoff is having the opportunity to win a ring. And regardless of how you feel about it, being one of the 14 teams that has an opportunity to win a ring out of 32 puts you in the upper echelon. I think the seventh seed was a, I think it was just a slam dunk home run type of idea. And to be honest with you, considering me thinking over the idea that over the course of the next 10 years, I see six teams being added to the league. This is just me procrastinating, uh, projecting out a bit. I see six teams added to the league at, at minimum four. I don't see any reason why they would change anything at all. Go to six divisions, six teams in each division, play each of your uh, teams twice, and then play one division, play one other division, go to 18 games, and allow seven teams in. That's exactly how things are going to go over the course of the next 10 years. The Falcons being in the playoffs is never a bad thing. And you got to be okay with it. That's part of being a fan. It's like, hey, if your team gets beat in the playoffs, your team gets beat in the playoffs. There's only one champion per year. But you got to give yourself a chance to be a champion. I did not enjoy not being in the playoffs last year. Not being in the playoffs last two years. Did not enjoy it. So, absolutely, I'm mapping out the playoff picture and wanting wanting the Falcons to make it. Because they need to. And it's great experience for a head coach who needs the experience. Which leads me to the second city city talk point that there is a fine line between aggressive and reckless. Being aggressive as a coach is really boils down to time and place, understanding the situation and then taking the opportunity in that situation and making the most of it. I relate it to picking a girl up at a bar. Hear me out. Follow me on this one. So if you're at a bar and you're peeping, you catch eyes with the young lady across the bar or whatnot, and you send her a drink, right? It would make a lot of proper sense that at some point during the night, not six, seven hours later, at some reasonable point in time, let's say 10, 15 minutes or even immediately after she picks up the drink. Somewhere between immediately picking up the drink and 10, 15 minutes, you want to go over there, spark a conversation. Hey, this came from the, you know, the waiter says, hey, this came from the gentleman over there. You wave, lift your glass. Go over there at some point and start a conversation, right? It, that is aggressive. That is seeing what you want, going out there and trying to get it. You know what I'm saying? Let the cars fall where they may. She may say, hey, thank you for the drink. That's a good night. You may end up married with three kids. You never know, but that's just having a level of aggression. Reckless is buying a bottle, walking over to a young lady, opening her mouth and trying to pour liquor into her mouth. To a stranger that you don't know. That is reckless and will probably catch you a charge. The intent behind them was the same. You want to get to know this young lady. But one of them may lead to something and one of them will absolutely lead to nothing. 100% of the time. That is the difference in the coaching ranks. 
going for it on fourth and one on a on a drive where you feel like it is absolutely necessary for your team to score early in the game. I love it. That's aggressive. Going for two up two scores already is reckless. It's reckless and unnecessary, and it shows a lack of confidence in your defense. He's got to be able to learn and understand these things and be able to be able to wrap his mind around the idea that, hey, I play complimentary football. I call the plays, but I also got to trust Dean Pease on the other side to hold the lead and call the plays that are going to hold the lead. Now, of course, he couldn't stop Allison from fumbling, but he called a good enough game against the Carolina Panthers that it should have never been in doubt. And truly, even though they scored that last minute touchdown, I don't think it truly was. I hate to see a lack of confidence from the coach because I feel like it permeates the team. With me personally, I felt like the Super Bowl broke the psyche of the core of that Atlanta team. And I hate to say it because Matt is still part of our team, but that's why like most of those players had to leave. The, the, the psyche was broken losing that lead. And you saw it over and over again in games where another team would start scoring and you would just lose leads and you would just choke up and you would get tight. And the one thing I have seen from Coach Smith this year is when teams start mounting that furious comeback, you're able to hold the line, hold the lead. Now, in Dallas, I felt like they kind of let go of the rope. They just spiraled out of control. And I felt like that happened in both games against the Bucks. You got kind of got out-schemed. But it was very refreshing to against the Saints and against Carolina this uh this time not allow them to win the game even though you kind of gave up the lead at the end. Same thing against Miami. I would like him to teeter a little bit toward aggressiveness rather than recklessness. I had one more point, but I'm trying to get my pods around the same general time and whatnot. So DM me, message me. Uh, I'm always down for city talk at the end and I'll do a nice big one on Friday. So especially if it's basketball related. So hit me up QCD11 on Twitter and Instagram. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate all you do. I'm out. Enjoy the ride.
gun in the head like a thought, nigga. Yeah, I fuck with Ty, he a boss, nigga. Put on that nick, I exhaust, nigga. Niggas cross me, so I cross, nigga. No scripper was lit last night. 500, what it cost, nigga. Shit was really legit last night. Had them hoes at the house, nigga. Instagram, Snapchat, Triller. What they say about Jay, he a coke getter. Used to have a fat sex in the grove, nigga. Late nights, early morning, my dough, nigga. You smell that aroma? Design the air, it's a party, hell. Papa Corona, she moving the body, she working them heels. Gotta go get the mentality. Gross it bad, full of celery. Only believe had what she telling me. Keep a 20 